Welcome to the only show dedicated to a new way of delivering healthcare. This new model has no name, but let's go ahead and call it direct contracting or digital first care. The new way centers on opting out of the games bigs play with their rigged dice, their crooked game board, and their purchased referees. And if you're looking for a future where everyone wins, that's the doc, the consumer, the employer, and with assured amazing outcomes and measurably lower costs that are ranging up to 60%, you're in the right place. I'm Ron Barshop, your host. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the new healthcare economy. Reserve board says 40% of us are illiquid, which means under 400 bucks in the bank. Bureau of Labor Statistics says 40% of us are in high deductible plans. So if you have a $1,500 deductible under 400 bucks in the bank, liquid, do you really even have insurance? Well, that's a hat tip to Dutch Rojas. He came up with that quote, but this is basically a functionally uninsured dilemma. Uninsured are just under 30 million Americans. We hear a lot about that in politics and campaigns, uh, the uninsured, the uninsured. The functionally uninsured are much larger population, more than double. So it's half of all workers. We have 151 million of workers, so at least 75 million folks are functionally uninsured. But to add insult to entry, over 85 million carry at least some medical debt today, according to debt.com. Six weeks ago, report came out. And by the way, half of those 85 million carry at least 1,000. So if 85 million Americans are carrying debt from a medical bill and 75 million, which is half, have basically high deductible insurance that's, and they're functionally uninsured, we got a problem, don't we? So, and if just put 85 million in context, that's about how many watched the Super Bowl last year, okay? So employers have been pressured by these ever spiraling healthcare costs, ever an increase, ever an increase, and ever, ever an increase for decades now. And- they're squeezing their employees by not choice, but because they have to into these high deductible plans. And the Department of Labor defines a high deductible plan as anything over $1,500. And boy, some of them get really high, way past 5,000. They get up to 8,000, 10,000. So they've had to shift risks to their hourly workers. And America is primarily an hourly working economy. That's the backbone of American economy. Guess what percent make under 30 bucks an hour? That would be 81% of us. 51% make under 20 bucks an hour. So we are a wealthy nation, an economist at the Federal Reserve told me a couple of years ago, because really our poor still have dishwashers and they have washing machines and they have televisions and they have cell phones. So related to the poor in the rest of the world who survive on 2 to $4 a day, our poor are doing pretty good. But if you've ever been to Europe or Asia and stayed with a friend or stayed in a house, they don't have dishwashers in a lot of these houses and they don't have washing machines in a lot of the upper middle class houses. So we're, we're actually okay, but I digress. That's called my monkey brain at work. So America is an hourly worker economy. This is largely the makeup of the great resignation that's in the headlines. The hourly guy who works the shifts at Walgreens or your server at the diner who just gets up and they're done. And the Amazon delivery person, 20% of hospital workers even have quit this pandemic. They've just opted out of working, but it's mostly this hourly worker backbone that I'm talking about that is part of this resignation. Because I believe 
there was a time when a good job meant a good healthcare plan that not only protected your finances and it protected your health. So today's healthcare plans do neither for undeniably half of all Americans. So the benefit no longer retains good people because over half of us are functionally uninsured. You got it? You can't use it. It's a non-benefit. There's another road or two, and this show is dedicated to making sure you're aware there is hope, especially for our hourly workers or self-employed contractors like realtors, or actually anybody not on Medicare. You can opt out of your unusable plan. Your non-benefit benefit, in air quotes. It's an empty promise, these benefits today. So you opt into direct contracts or direct payment models like our guest today. Um, you're going to learn a lot about a new way of thinking about a direct payment model to take care of your health costs. So we've had dozens of guests in direct contracting connect with you about primary care and specialists and surgery centers and labs and imaging. You can get even your medications at pennies a pill. I love uh, our guest from Wimberley, Scriptco. So we had Zach talk about that if you want to listen to that episode. We really don't need middlemen. These bigs really just get in the way and they add only complexity and friction and bureaucracy and cost. Did you know that docs only get eight to 18 cents per dollar that they bill? Eight pennies. If they work for a big, more like 18 cents if they're independent, but the bigs and the admins needed to please the bigs with ICD-10 codes and ICD-11 codes and CPT codes, they feed off the medical exam to the tune of 82 to 92%. So that doctor that should be making a lot more can, if they go direct, they get a raise and they have less volume, typically five to 800 patients versus 1,500 to 2,500. That's if they go direct, but actually every doctor is direct. Every primary care doctor listening to this is direct. And I'll explain that. We'll explain that. It's all happening for 30 million strong. It's a movement with no name, no leader, no articles, few macro studies, but plenty of evidence by these contractors that are directly involved in this by their company evidence. But we're learning that it saves 20 to 60% off the employer healthcare spent. Employees love it when it's executed well and communities benefit. Check out the college matriculation rates of the poorest school district in Orlando and how a portion of the $450 million in healthcare savings for Rosen Hotels and Resorts saved a once crime-infested, hopeless district. So they have 6,500 employees in 6,000 rooms, but they also have adopted a, not only a small school district called Tangelo Park, but a larger one next to it. These are the two poorest districts in Orlando. And the elementary school principal told us that he used to walk by the playground and collect syringes and needles from the junkies the night before. Well, no more. For 30 years, they've been um, helping the community matriculate from college at the same rate as the top 10% rich schools. Well, that's episodes 54 and 74 if you want to learn more about how a community benefits from direct contracting. A second way to go direct, I will learn about today with our guests. It's not a new idea, but it's a fresh wrinkle on a new idea. How about if you crowdfund your health care? Kind of what health insurance was supposed to be a long time ago, but it's no longer. Today's guest... Meet Andy Schoonover, the CEO of Crowd Health, which, like direct contracting, says goodbye to deductibles and co-pays and billing and in and out of network docs and coding and all of that because his platform is paid out to the ecosystem on an all-cash basis, to the docs, to the imaging, to the meds, by discount pharmacies, to the labs, all of it. Everyone who takes cash is in network, and that's pretty much everyone. Welcome, Andy, to the show. Glad to have you. 
Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Any comments before we get going? Man, I, it, you perfectly framed the picture of the mess that we are in. I would say that there's only you know one additional stat that I would throw out there that I didn't hear, and and the one that breaks my heart and is really the mission of of why we're doing this is we had 250,000 families last year who had health insurance go bankrupt because of medical bills, right? And it is and it is and it is a perfect reflection of what you just said, which is uh, you know thanks to Dutch, if 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 you don't have enough cash in the bank to pay for your deductible, you don't actually have health insurance. I mean, the whole point of health in, or insurance in general, right, is if you have a, a, a large event that it won't put you into financial distress. And that's just not the case with, with health insurance. You know, if a family's making thirty five or 50000 a year and they've got a $25,000 premium, so that's a typical family is paying 2000 to 2500 a month. And they got an 80-20 copay for these big expenses. And they have deductibles that are five to $8,000. they are in it for $30,000, $40,000 before they ever have the insurance company have to tap their funds. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's the reason why we, we, I can tell you a quick backstory of the, why we started Crowd Health, but it was just, you know, perfectly along those lines. You know, I, I, um, was running a healthcare technology company and we, we were doing remote patient monitoring. So we were monitoring blood sugars and blood pressure and, and things like that from uh, folks with chronic conditions. And, and funny enough, we were selling into the big health plans. Um, we sold that company. And um, after I got off of Cobra, which I think was $2,000 a, a month or something like that for me, my wife and my two girls, I, I jumped on healthcare.gov because I thought it was the only option. Um, got a health plan and it worked until I actually had to use it. My, my little one who's one at the time was having recurring ear infections. And so we went to the ear, nose and throat doctor who said she needs tubes in her ears. She had a perforated eardrum. Um, so we went to the hospital, 15 minute procedure, got the bill. It was $8,000 for 15 mm -hmm. minutes. And uh, my health insurance company came back and said it was medically unnecessary. And so they weren't going to pay for it. Um, and so, you know, it was one of those times where I was like, man, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, I can I can write an $8,000 check. But as you were talking about in your opening, you know, the vast majority, I mean, 90% or more, you know, Americans don't have $8,000 in their bank account to, to, to pay for, you know, a, a pretty um, kind of innocuous uh, thing like, you know, uh, ears, tubes in their ears. Um, and so that was the, the kind of the, the catalyst for me starting uh, Crowd Health. I, I called up my health insurance plan. I was like, I quit. You know, if, if you're not going to pay my bills, I'm not paying your bills. And uh, my family and I have been uninsured ever since. And so that's um, the kind of the, the founding story of, of Crowd Health. Well, let's, let's define uninsured. You've been uninsured by bigs, but you have been covered by this new model. So you have protection. You have an umbrella. I do have protection, and I actually feel more secure in my protection than than I ever have been. Um, if you look at you know the healthcare.gov plans, they they this is a, this is Kaiser Family Foundation data. One in six claims are denied by healthcare.gov plans. So you have a one in six chance. If you live in Tennessee, it's one in three. If you live in Texas, it's one in five. Um, you know that's you, you got to be doing a thirty percent, you know, seventeen to fifty percent chance of of uh, of not getting your medical bill paid. And so, you know, people are saying, "Wow, you know, how, how can you survive without health insurance?" And I'm saying, "Well, you know, most of the, a lot of times the health insurance isn't paying." So, yeah, we do we we do are covered. We do have a group of people um, that are committed to helping us uh, if we have a big healthcare bill, and and we're committed to helping them if they have a big healthcare bill. And like you said in your opening. 
it's the way we've been, we've been doing it for thousands of years. Um, and it wasn't until the, you know, the seventies and eighties for the most part that the, the, the middlemen stepped in and, and really kind of stole our ability to be generous to our community members um, away from us because, you know, we're no longer the, the buyers of healthcare, the insurance plan is. Yes. Well, I want to get into the mechanics of how it works because I think sure. it's fascinating what you put together here. I, I kind of think of it like if uh, the Uber rating system had a love child with GoFundMe that that would turn <laughs> into your company because the innovation I think you've done that's really creative besides well, we'll talk about the other innovations, but there's a rating on both sides, not only for the donor, well, for the person who joins the the fund, and we'll talk about how all that works, but so they're rated, are they contributing regularly or somewhat to other people's needs? And then there's also, are you shopping properly for the right kind of care that the right location that's lower cost than say going to a, I mean, you can get an expensive MRI for 4,000. You can get one for three or $400 depends on the place of service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think as, as we were building the model, I think there was, you know, two, two problems that came up. One is, you know, how, how do we um, keep people from going to the, you know, the Mayo clinic for a flu, <laughs> you know, um, it, there, there has been no incentive in the past for folks to, to shop for healthcare. Um, I think there are still significant barriers uh, for people to actually be able to shop for, for healthcare, even though there is increased transparency, we wanted to be able to help them shop for healthcare. And so what we've done is put in a, a rating system that basically says, hey, are, are, you, are you a good shopper? Um, are you actually going and in, in shopping for your healthcare? Or are you just taking whatever price the hospital or the orthopedic surgeon or, or whatever gives you? You know, are you allowing us to help you shop or not? Um, and so you have a, a shopper score as a part of our system. And, you know, the other problem, and we can talk about the mechanics of how this works, and I think it probably will make a little bit more sense. But, um, you know, if, if you think about crowd health as being, a crowdfunding platform, you know, not too dissimilar to, you know, GoFundMe. Um, what is the incentive for people to actually help me, especially if it's a, just a, a run of the mill procedure? I mean, I, I understand GoFundMe when somebody gets, you know, their kid gets leukemia or whatever it ends up being, there's an emotional play here that people just want to help. There's just a sincere desire to help. If, I'm getting a knee replacement. There's not quite that emotional tie um, to be able to, to help me. And so how do we incentivize that? And basically what we do is every month we reach out to our members and we ask, hey, you know, it, here's a list of things that your community members need help pay, to pay for. Um, are you willing to help them? Um, so it's 100% voluntary. If you do help them 100% of, of th those bills, then you get a 100% generosity score. If you help them with 50% of the bills, you get a 50% generosity score. And ultimately what that does is creates a level of reciprocity where um, if you are generous, then when you have a bill, others will see that you're generous um, and will help you out. If you are stingy- so Wait a minute, I'm a little confused. I got to interrupt you here. Um, sure. Andy, do you have, labor and delivery is the most common surgery in America. It's typically a C-section. So it's six, 7,000 bucks typically for complications. So you have a 7,000 member, let's say you have 7,000 members, which you don't yet because you're brand new, but you have 7,000 members. That means if everybody kicks in a buck, they've got that covered. Is that how that works? Of course, you have the 
$500 that the in the member has to pay. So maybe we should get into the mechanics of what each member sure. pays. Yeah, let me start from the beginning. Yes. Um, so if you are between the ages of six and 54, um, it's 175 bucks a month. Um, a little bit more if you're older, a little bit more if you're younger. Um, you put that money into an account. Um, $25 of the 175 comes to us. That's how we make our money. It's a subscription fee model. The 150 stays in that account that is that is your account. Um, and then that account builds up over time. Um, but you will use the money in that account to help others with their medical needs. So everybody think about it as, you know, we have 2000 bank accounts out there and everybody has money in that bank account. And you're putting money in there every single month. And then we're asking you on a monthly basis to contribute to the medical bills of other people in that community. And so you're using the money out of that account um, to help other people. So unlike a health savings account where I have my 2,500 bucks or 2,400 bucks at the end of the year, uh, minus your admin fee, but so call it $2,000. If I haven't used my 2,000, what you're saying is now I can donate 200 of that towards that labor and delivery or $2, whatever I choose, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, and at the end of the day, if you leave crowd health, the money is yours. So we give it back to you. So okay. um, that's, you know, significantly different than the way your, you know, health insurance plan would work. Okay. So you got funded by $6 million initially back in April a year ago. Do you have enough to take care of the cancers and the, I mean, it's uh, cancer is obviously going to be less than 1% for your population. Um, do you, do you cut off age? I know you cut off 300 pounds and you cut off smokers, mm -hmm. um, but do you cut off any other age limitations uh, other than the Medicare age eligible? Only Medicare age. Yeah. Okay. So if you're, if you're eligible for Medicare, then we, we recommend you go to, to Medicare. Okay. Now I want to dispel a myth too, because a lot of, you only pay the medications for 120 days and a lot of older folks have comorbidities and they have lots of medications they're on, but you have a prescription discount that gets them their medications at pennies a pill, as opposed to the ridiculous rates that they'll pay at a typical retail store. Yeah. We're, we're working with uh, a company that's similar to, to GoodRx. Um, it's not GoodRx, but it's similar um, based upon similar platform. And so we're getting similar uh, prices to, to GoodRx, which oftentimes, especially on the generics are, you know, 70, 80% less than what is, you know, billed by your, your health plan. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of the folks that we have, and, and there are no kind of pre-existing requirements for us. And so if you have a pre-existing condition, um, you know, we ask you to be responsible for those or, or kind of commit to paying for those, that pre-existing condition in the first year. And then we'll, some of the bills are eligible. So up to $25,000 of the bills are eligible in year two, 50,000 in year three, and then a hundred thousand in year four and beyond. They're eligible to be funded by the, the community. Um, but what we're seeing is we're, you know, lots of folks with hypertension, high cholesterol, those types of things, but those drugs are not that expensive. I mean, those drugs right. are mm -hmm. all have generic equivalents. Um, you know, they're, they're 10, 20, 30 bucks a month. And so, you know, we think we're saving people on average around 6,000, six ish, six to $7,000 a, a year. So when I show them the math that they're paying maybe an extra 30 or 50 bucks a month for their prescription drugs, you're still in, you know, the, the black there. Yeah, people get nervous thinking about having to pay for drugs, but the truth is, again, generics are, uh, at least with one of our guests, Scripco, literally 85% of their drugs are pennies a pill and they charge 150 Absolutely. bucks a year to add, add access those pennies a pill drugs. And they're, yeah. uh, the 15% that aren't pennies a pill or, or maybe one of them actually is a dollar a pill. So pennies a pill is 90 cents at the end of 90 days. I mean, it's, it's not even a dollar. So it's sometimes $2 and 70 cents, but 
Um, you're not paying a lot for the drugs if you know how to get them wholesale and you can use Scripco or you can use y'all service, which is the good RX model. So yeah, exactly. either way, now the, the medication that scare people though is what about the drip I'm going to have to take when I have cancer? What about that rate, that chemo? You know, that's the stuff that scares them is the specialty drugs. Let's add some market forces into the, into the, into play here. Right. I mean, the, the reason why those, those pharmaceutical companies can, can get those from health insurance plans is your health insurance plans are not negotiating on your behalf. We think that they are, they are not, they have no incentive to, um, even with the whole ACA, uh, you know, Obamacare that worsened it because it gave the health insurance, you know, an incentive to actually have premiums go up as opposed to premiums go down. Actually the, uh, yeah, the, the med pharmacy got a, a waiver to ever have to negotiate their pricing again with Medicare, with Medicaid or Medicare. So federal government cannot negotiate drug prices on any type of medication, specialty, generic, fill in the blank because of 2009. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it, it really has perverse incentives. And so what we're doing is we are negotiating with these hospitals. We are negotiating with these pharmaceutical companies and you can negotiate. I always say that I've got more negotiating power as an individual than I than United Healthcare does against my local hospital. Okay, so a worry might be, let's say I have the labor and delivery. We're gonna have three kids over the next six years. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're gonna have eighteen thousand in cost. What happens if somebody doesn't fund the full six grand or seven grand? What happens if there's a complication and it's really twelve grand? What what happens when the community can't step up for the full amount that's needed to take care of it? Yeah, I mean, we think we have the, the systems and processes in place where, you know, the, the community can do that. Um, the, okay. that we do not believe and and we've kind of backed this up because everybody at crowd health is a part of crowd health we are all members of crowd health we don't have any other insurance crowd health is what we we use so um you know we put our money where our mouth is and we believe we have the systems and processes that we between negotiating those bills which is significant um we we post negotiate all of those hospital bills um we we can get those bills down by about 60 percent um, oftentimes the, the hospitals, given that you are an individual, you're not a part of the, the crowd health plan. You are an individual that is using crowd health as a platform to help you um, crowdfund for some of these bills. Um, and therefore the hospitals, the pharmaceutical companies, all of these people will, or all these organizations will negotiate with you. And we do that on your behalf. So that's one of the services that we provide you is we will negotiate with the hospital and the pharmaceutical companies. And you'll um, navigate for the best care. The, the cheapest care is not the, uh, the, the best care. They're actually the best providers in primary care and surgery and specialists tend to be lower costs. They're not higher costs. It's not like buying a car. We get a really nice car for more money in healthcare. It's the almost opposite. Yeah. They're inversely related quality and cost often, oftentimes, right? I mean, if you think about this as the orthopedic surgeon, I talked to one in Austin, the best in Austin, I think he does six or seven knee replacements every day. <laughs> and so if you think about six or seven knee replacements every day, as opposed to six or seven knee replacements every month or every year, the guy who can do them every day, he's seen every complication in the book, you know, dozens of times, they can do it faster, they can do it um, more effectively. Um, they don't have to come back for redos, you know, knee, knee replacement is one of those where you have to come back for a redo off, you know, fairly often. And so if you do lots of them, you tip and are better at them, you're typically lower cost. This is not the Ritz Carlton or the Ferrari. This is, it's actually the opposite of that. It's, it's, you get the best doctor typically at the lowest cost.
we had Keith Smith on the show early on and he said, I said, what do you do with complications at Surgery Center of Oklahoma? And he goes, why would I ever have a complication, Ron? And he's right. They have lower infection rates, less complications because they do it right with professionals that know exactly what they're doing and do tons of them. So every surgeon's a specialist today. There's no such thing as a general orthopedist, a general radiologist even. They're all narrow uh, casted specialists because they have to be good at something because otherwise it's too complex. Right. And that's why I said this guy I talked to is just knees. That's all he does. He just does knee replacements, you know, and he does six or seven a day. And so he's, he's, he's excellent at it. And, and he is dying to go into an all cash pay system because I think, you know, his practice had, you know, 10 doctors in it. I think they uh, have a hundred people working for them with 10 doctors, a big chunk of them are billing people. And those billing people are trying to get funds from health insurance plans. And the doc would love to go and cash. <laughs> well, I've been in hundreds of primary care clinics. Here's, here's the setup labor-wise. You have a front desk. They're collecting your clipboard and entering the data in for the insurance company EHR system. It's not yours. You don't get the data from that EHR. The doctor really doesn't get much either. They have to do it to get paid. Then you have the outtake. Same thing happening. You're now paying your copay. Then you have the referral coordinator. That's not a caregiver. Then you have the uh, person who's handling all of the billing and coding and collecting. There's literally seven people for every doctor that's in primary care. And of all those people, only one is rooming you, taking your blood pressure, cuffing you, taking your eyesight if you're a kid, giving you your vaccines. There's a shot nurse usually. So one to one and a half people are caregivers and the rest of them went to medical health, medical assistance school to learn how to basically deal with transactions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so add, add on top of that, the cost of your, you know, your EMR, um, which is doing your billing for you and they're taking six, seven, eight percent off the top of everything versus visa, which is, you know, how we would do it, which is a percent and a half or two percent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's six or seven percent right there just that can be eliminated if if you if you transition to a cash pay system. Um, and so that's what we're really utilizing. And the, and the doctors love it. We are absolutely pro physician. And the, every t- physician I talk to is like, wow, if we could go to all cash, my life would be easier. I would want to do medicine a lot more. My passion is taking care of the patients. And 30% of my time is, is spent dealing with health insurance plan, which is the bane of my existence. Um, so we are just getting incredible feedback from, from physicians that uh, you know, would love for us to succeed. And we had the folks of uh, Texas Medical Management on our show a couple of weeks ago, and um, they told us that the surgeons make two to four times what they would make through insurance pay versus cash pay because of the lack of middlemen that are needed. You don't need all that fluff. So exactly. let's, let's take, change the subject. I want to allay people's fears about this concept of crowdsourcing your health because everybody worries about the cancer car accident or cardio incident. Mm-hmm. You can have a heart attack and boom, you're in you know, for 20 grand. It's not as scary as y'all think. I did the math for a previous show and the number of Americans that are working Americans under 65 and children that have any of those three incidents, the, the scary ones, the car, the cancer, and the cardio, it's one and a half percent. And 1% of that one and a half is cancer. So, um, and if you catch it at stage one, you know, it's not quite as scary or costly or uh, threatening. So um, one and a half percent, that means there's a 98 and a half percent chance you're going to be okay throughout most of your working life. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is a, a, 
a different structure. People have to get comfortable with it. But as I said earlier, we already have the health insurance plans denying claims. Um, mm -hmm. And these are significant claims. These are, in my situation, an $8,000 claim. Um, and so, you know, what is riskier? Um, you have a one and a half percent chance of having a, you know, large catastrophic event in which we can negotiate that down. Um, the community actually allowed the hospitals to finance some of that for us. And so there's not a large upfront cost for the, the for the community. Um, and so, you know, we are very, very comfortable with, uh, you know, a brain hemorrhage that we had three or four weeks ago from one of our members. It's probably going to be a two hundred thousand dollar, you know, bill. We're very, very comfortable with the ability of the, the community to come up and and fund something like that. What number of members do you need to have to have actual coverage for scary things like that? Because I know the six million is to help you get your operations going, but is some of that going to cover these early scary things that are sort of you know one in a million situations until you get your numbers up and get your uh, community up? Well, given that we can reduce the, the typical ER bill by about 60%, given that we can, you know, finance these over a period of time, um, and when I say finance these, let me make sure that the audience understands this, is, you know, we had a, um, uh, actually an investor of ours that had a, a cardiac arrest, it was a $500,000 bill, um, it was negotiated with the hospital down to 100000 that bill was paid out over 24 months. So let's just say $4,000 a month over 24 months, a couple thousand people in the community. That's $2 per month for a huge catastrophic cardiac arrest where the person had to have like a, I think it was a triple bypass. Um, that is a big cardi big catastrophic one where for you, it'd be two, two bucks a month, you know? Um, and so that's the way that, that this works. We, we don't have to have the huge, pile of cash on the back end to be able to, to do this. And, and while you will have a um, amount of money in your, your, your account, um, that account is, you know, it's distributed over, a, you know, several thousand people. Um, and so there is, from our perspective, again, we are actually users of this, not, not just, um, you know, sellers of this. Um, we, we truly believe that we have the, the modern day finance structures to be able to, 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 uh, pay a lot of these, you know, large catastrophic bills. If we had five of those, hem you know, brain hemorrhages, I still would be very comfortable with it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just the way though, the, that's the craziness of our system is that, you know, United Healthcare would have to pay $500,000 for that cardiac arrest where we're paying, you know, two bucks per month for a couple of years. Um, that's just a different financial model than what United Healthcare or Aetna or any of the other bigs have to deal with. Are there any that won't negotiate with you? I'm told MD Anderson in Houston won't negotiate with the cash pay, but most everybody else will pay cash. Yeah, and, and, and even MD Anderson, if, if they will negotiate with you um, in a cash pay, um, if they have, look, they have a decision to make, right? You are, you are a cash pay payer, and so they, they can look at you and say, you have a $100,000 bill. They can put the schoonovers into bankruptcy, or they can negotiate with you. What are they going to do? They're going to negotiate with you. So I know for sure there are um, large bills from well-known hospitals like MD Anderson that have been negotiated down significantly. And in fact, if you are a, a nonprofit hospital, there's actually a government mandate that you have to have charity care for anybody who is 400% uh, of poverty level or, or lower. I believe it's they they have to give you 90% charity care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and that 400 
percent poverty level is, is I, I think it's like a hundred thousand dollars for you know a family of four. So it is not a you know a, a small number. Okay, so you've explained this well. Let me ask you: Do you cover yet mental health, behavioral health, or is that a future it offering? Is not yet. It is okay. something that I'm passionate about, um, and we will do it at some point, but not right now. Chiropractic, the same thing. You're not touching uh, non the non allopathic. Not yeah, not not yet. No homeopathic. None of the you know you can't go to a homeopathic doctor and get treated. Uh, if if it is, I, I think the way that we say it in our member guidelines, and everybody can go to joincrowdhealth.com. Member guidelines is there right on the top. Um, it, it it's got a list of all the things that we we are eligible for funding by the community and those that are not. So. Um, you can go and take a look there. It's not a huge list. Um, so it's pretty, pretty easy to understand. But it's DO. You can, a DO, you can go see a DO yes. and get your back yes. cracked if you have any back problems. Yes, okay. absolutely. And Ron, one, one other thing with these negotiations, it is a, it is a federal law um, called open contract law. And you probably know about this is if, if you have a, a service that is provided to you and you have not agreed to what the price is going to be before the service is provided, you have to negotiate in good faith that service. Right. So it's, you know, your, your uh, lawn mowing guy can't come and be like, oh, that's $5,000. Like, it's like, hold on a second. Like, you actually have to negotiate with me. And so hospitals are mandated by federal law to negotiate with people if they provide a service without providing the, the price to you first before providing that service. So they have to negotiate with you. Hmm. I, um, I want to ask two more questions because I know you're in open enrollment season and this is your high tide busy time. But, it is. But, yeah. So congratulations. I hope it's going well for you. But um, Sidera, Zion, you know, Liberty, the, the health sharing ministries have been fighting for their oxygen to be alive mm -hmm. um, because the bigs are threatened by them and they're trying every way through regulations and other state laws to close them down or call them insurance and basically uh, denigrate them from their from their duty. Are you going to or you are you facing any of those same headwinds? Um, it's a non-insurance insurance provider. Yeah, I what I would say is we've spent several hundred thousand dollars with attorneys to ensure that what we are doing is not considered insurance or being in the business of insurance, um, which are, are two different things. But, um, you know, look, we are a crowdfunding platform. Um, we, do, we never touch the money. The account that you have is, is your money. Um, and if you're going to try to shut us down, you're going to have to shut down, you know, the, the healthcare piece of GoFundMe, which is, I think, the largest, you know, source of, of funds um, for GoFundMe is their healthcare piece. Um, and so I, I think it would be, you know, very difficult for them to, to do that. But um, we are not naive in the big health plans hating what we're doing. Um, and they've got a lot of money. So I, it's not a matter of, of if, but when we have to engage in some of those conversations. And, and so, I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, I'm looking forward to, to telling the world about what we're doing and, and kind of getting back to the way we've done things for the last couple of thousand years, adding some, some technology and adding some modern day finance. And um, I think people will, will look upon that. I've already had some uh, conversations with, with state and um, federal legislative folks um, who are just blown away by what we're able to do and, and see it as a you know, potential path forward. So we're looking forward to the conversations. Right. And my last question is, what's to prevent some jerk from dipping their toe into your pool and then pulling out the second that they've gotten funded for their birth? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, the, the limitations that we have is you have to conceive, you know, after joining. Um, and so, you know, if, if you conceived three weeks ago and you join, 
you know, we, it, it's just math, right? We know that you'll, you, you've conceived before you join, so we're not going to do that. So you have to be, um, okay, well, forget, forget labor and delivery. How about for knee surgery, the, your example, what if they come in, get their knee surgery done, then they say, thank you. I've had a nice month here. I'm on my way. Yeah. I mean, that's a pre-existing condition. We have access to your medical records. You give us that right up front. And so we will see through those medical records that you've had knee issues in the past. We'll tell okay. you it's a medical, you know, a pre-existing condition. And so you will be responsible. You, you know, you're, you're gonna have to pay for that. Um, so we've got some things built in there that protect us. And I think while we're not a health share, I think one of the things that the health shares have proved at least some of them, not all of them is that this is a, a, you know, a viable thing to do over a big group of people over a long period of time. And they have some of the same issues that we have um, and they've been able to solve them. So we have kind of looked at that model and say, okay, what are y'all doing that, that can help us to keep some of these kind of adverse selection issues away from, from crowd health. So um, yeah, we've, we've, we've used a bit of that, that uh, member guideline content to help us. And you have some flexibility with smokers. If you stop smoking for what, 90 days, you're considered a non-smoker. So we will take you, you can, we can join our, our community. Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, uh, non-smoke, if you, if you've smoked in the past, um, you're not eligible, um, right now. And we may change that policy okay. in, in next year, but, um, just we've, we've kind of looked at the data and, and even if you stop smoking, there is still a super high risk of some pretty costly events. And so, um, we're, we're, we're not allowing smokers now, but we're reevaluating that. Which includes vaping, correct? Which includes vaping. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if people want to find crowd health and find you, Andy, what's the best way? Yeah. Joincrowdhealth.com is our website. We're on all the major social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram at join crowd health is our handle. Okay. And there's some very nice videos y'all explaining this. So um, if you didn't understand it from this interview, you'll get a lot more clarity by going on their website. Um, if you could fly a banner over America, what would that banner say? Cancel health insurance. Yeah. I'm with you. That's what this show's about. Yeah. I mean, it, in, in our cancel culture, let's cancel something that really is hurting people in a big way, which is health insurance from my perspective. Yeah, I love Dave Chase says that healthcare has stolen the American dream. It's really an apt saying, so very perfect way to end the show. And we'll keep up with you. How many members are you at now? And what do you hope to be in the next several years? Yeah, we're 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 gonna be at around fifteen hundred here in the next week or two. Um, and you know, we're we're scheduled to be probably fifteen to twenty thousand by the end of next year. So, um, we're we're super excited about the trajectory, especially over the last man couple of weeks with open enrollment has been pretty pretty crazy. Do you think it's going to be employers signing up, or is it going to be individuals one on one? Just in other words, you B two C or B two B or B two C? Got it. Almost exclusively B two C. Um, lots of ten ninety nines out there. We have the great resignation. Um, lots of people are looking for health uh, a way a way to pay for their health bills outside of their employer. Um, more now than ever. Yes, I'd imagine. Well, good luck to you. And we'll stay in touch over the years. And it's exciting to uh, have this new offering on the market. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.